You're listening to GBA's audio education series with me, Tiffany Voorhees. And me, Ryan White. This series came about when we discovered some really great audio education content on the geoprofessional.org website known as GBA. Since Ryan and I are members of GBA and both part of their podcast committee, we quickly realized that this content needed to be shared via podcast. The content we found was designed for one-on-one listening by field representatives and as material to spur discussion during formal training sessions. GBA uses dramatization and professional actors to set the scene for situations you will encounter in the field. But wait, there's more. Tackling topics like effective report writing or duty of care can be... A little boring? (sighs) Yes, but let's not get too punny. While GBA did a great job of telling engaging stories around these tough topics, Ryan and I add some personal lessons learned from each of our many years of experience in the industry, both as field reps and technical leaders. That makes us sound old. Well... What are your first uh, takes or first reactions or first thoughts before people hear this one? The message is great. It's something that's been ingrained in me for a long time. The audio is a little bit cheesy, but I, I think as you listen to it a little more, it kind of it grows on you a bit. It's kind of an interesting way to present that information. I thought it was good. Totally agree. It does come off a little cheesy, but in the end, I was like, man. GBA kind of rocks. They developed this whole script, executed it, and put it in a way that I think people can relate to and understand both sides. So I kind of loved it. Yeah, awesome. All right, let's play it. Hey, Charlie. Hi, Carl. So how's Charlie today? You all set to look over my shoulder? You bet. You do one thing wrong, and you're toast. (laughs) Right. I don't like what you find sometimes, but uh, you're a pretty square shooter. I can live with that. Hey, by the way, how does this uh, trench look to you? It looks fine to me. But it wasn't fine, and the next day it collapsed, killing a construction worker. The worker's widow filed a lawsuit and won. Who do you suppose she sued, and why? This production of six programs is intended for field representatives and those otherwise involved with field activities. For many firms, these can be some of the most important services of all. Unfortunately, many firms do not focus as much attention as they should on field activities. In fact, some stay out of the field altogether. As a consequence, they cannot provide the level of quality assurance that so many other firms gain by having well-trained field staff working on their behalf. We suspect that these programs may raise a number of questions, and that's good. Any number of issues merit discussion to help establish the understanding needed to perform any task well. And as you probably know, field representation is not just any task. But there's probably a lot about it you may not be aware of, and that's why ASFE developed this program. We hope you find it of value. And now, let's move on to the first program, Field Representatives and the Law, where you'll learn why you have to do some of the things you have to do and why you don't do certain others. Hey, Charlie, can I come in? Sure thing. How'd it go today, Tyler? Have a seat. Okay, I guess. What do you mean by guess? Well... Remember what I told you on the first day, Tyler. Hide nothing. The stakes are too high. 
we can almost always fix it as long as we know. What happened? Well, the foreman asked me to give an opinion on a trench. What kind of opinion? Well, he asked me, how did the trench look to me? Oh, my gosh. What? Well, as Yogi Berra once said, it's deja vu all over again. What do you mean? Well, when I was a much younger man, almost the exact same thing happened to me, but I didn't say anything about it. Wow, what happened? Well, that trench caved in and a man was killed. And the next thing I knew, I was in court. All rise. The court is back in session. Judge Joseph Crater presiding. Be seated. Are we ready to continue? Yes, Your Honor. I remind you, Mrs. Green, you're still under oath. Yes, Your Honor. Now, Mrs. Green, if you would, please tell the court what happened on June 14 of last year. I received a phone call from Aaron Metcalf. He worked with David. He said there'd been an accident. And did you go to the hospital? I called my sister to take care of the kids, and as soon as she got there, I went. And when I got there, the police was there, and they took me aside. And they sat me down, and I knew, just as soon as they told me to sit down, I knew David was gone. Four little ones at home. How was I supposed to tell them? That was almost a year ago, Mrs. Green. How have you been doing? Not well. I'm, I'm an emotional wreck. I don't sleep. I cry a lot. I've had to take two jobs just to feed my kids. I got some money from workers' compensation, but that went quick. Now, did there come a time when you learned that your husband, David, never should have been in that trench? Yes, ma'am. About three weeks after the accident, I read in the newspaper that people should have known that trench wasn't safe. And how did you feel? I felt horrible. I spoke to my brother-in-law about it, and he said I should get a lawyer. And what did you learn? The lawyer, Mr. Davis, in your office, he told me I couldn't do a thing about David's company, that they were protected by workers' compensation. Whatever I got from workers' compensation was it, unless someone else may have been at fault, too. And then what happened? I got a call from David's supervisor, Carl Cataldo. He said that someone else was involved. Quiet! If you can't contain yourselves, I will clear this courtroom. I have no further questions, Your Honor. Counsel? <clears throat> no questions, Your Honor. Your Honor, I'd like to call Carl J. Cataldo. The court calls Carl J. Cataldo. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? I do. Mr. Cataldo, where were you on June 13, the day before the horrible accident that took the life of David Green? I was at the Got Rocks Mall site. Did you have an opportunity to speak to a Mr. Charles M. Terrain? Yes, I did. And who exactly is Mr. Charles Terrain? Mr. Terrain is a field representative for Downs & Associates. They're the engineering firm that was on site at the time. They'd done most of the civil engineering, the geotechnical engineering, and the environmental work on the site. They were pretty much involved then. Oh, absolutely. They're really a good firm. I, I respected them, at least uh, until the accident happened. And why was that? Well, on the day before the accident, on the 13th, Charlie got to the site. You mean Mr. Terrain? Uh, right. Uh, Mr. Terrain got to the site, and I was really kind of uneasy about the trench we had dug, so I thought I'd ask him for his opinion. But why him? He's not an engineer. Well, actually, at the time, he kind of was. At least that was my understanding. What do you mean? Well, on this particular project, Doug Downs was the engineer of record. The engineer in charge. Right. And Charlie, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Terrain, was reporting directly to Mr. Downs. And so he was his agent or his representative on the site. 
As I understand it, as Mr. Downs' agent, everything Mr. Terrain said was said by Mr. Downs. So, if Mr. Terrain said the trench was okay, it was exactly the same as Mr. Downs saying it was okay. And if it wasn't okay, and Mr. Terrain said it was okay, then that would be professional negligence on Mr. Downs' part. Now, I knew that Downs was really a highly respected engineer, and he wouldn't be negligent. So I trusted what Terrain had to say. Because it was exactly the same as if Mr. Downs said it? Right. And what did Mr. Terrain say? Well, I said to him, how's the trench look to you? And he said, it looks fine. You relied on that? Well, of course, anyone would. Thank you, Mr. Cataldo. Your witness. Mr. Cataldo, you knew that Mr. Terrain was not a professional engineer. Yes, sir. Why, then, did you rely on his opinion? Objection. Asked and answered. Sustained. Mr. Cataldo, how many years have you been involved in construction? Uh, about 25. Weren't you in a position to make a determination, too? You see, sir, I'm not uh, nearly as intelligent as a professional engineer. I don't know as much. That's why I asked Charlie, uh, Mr. Terrain, in the first place. But Mr. Terrain is not a professional engineer, and you knew that. <sighs> you know... I guess that every time I cut myself a little here or there, I could go running to a doctor. But usually a nurse who's working for a doctor will do just fine because she's been trained by the doctor and knows what to do, and she can fix that cut or that bruise just as good as any doctor can, and the doctor's responsible for what she does. Now, it's my understanding that the exact same situation existed here, that Mr. Terrain was speaking for the engineer and was just as competent as the engineer to tell me whether or not that trench was safe. And if he wasn't as competent, then when I asked him how the trench looks to him, he should have said, I don't know. And Mr. Downs should have taught Charlie that. I mean, if the nurse doesn't know how to fix my cut, I expect her to tell me, you better see the doctor. And if she doesn't tell me that, and she hurts me as a result, well, the doctor's to blame because he should have taught her better. What's your knowledge of the workers' compensation law in your state? Injured workers are covered by the insurance and can't sue their employers if they get injured on the job. To your knowledge, would Mr. Downs be protected by the workers' compensation law in this case? Yeah, I don't think so. Because David Green wasn't his employee. And if Mr. Downs wasn't negligent, none of this would have happened, and David's four kids would have a daddy, and his wife wouldn't be a widow. No further questions. So what do you think the jury decided, Tyler? I don't know, Charlie. Well, let me ask you this. Suppose you were on the jury. How would you vote? Here's a widow with four children. Her husband was killed due to someone's negligence. She got a relatively small amount of money from workers' comp. You gotta feel bad for her and her kids. That's true. You do. Now, as it so happens, someone said something they shouldn't have, and that may, may, make that someone liable. And that someone is backed up by a successful engineering firm and that successful engineering firm is backed up by an even more successful insurance company. So, if I'm on the jury, I'd have a choice. I could decide that the engineering firm wasn't liable, so the widow and her four children get nothing at all beside what workers' comp provided, or... Or you could say, oh, that poor lady, those poor kids. I don't know if the engineer did that terrible a thing, but I do know that a terrible thing has happened, and all we have to do is agree with the widow's lawyer and we can get her and her kids some relief. And it really doesn't seem to hurt the engineer that much, because the engineer probably has insurance. But what about our contract? 
You told me that we always have a written contract that says we're not liable for... Uh, for the means, methods, sequences, or operations of construction or any safety programs related to construction. That's right, Tyler. But I'll tell you something, you can't rely on contract wording. The lawyer taught me that. When I was in the hot seat, I said to him, we have a contract that says we aren't involved in site safety. How can they possibly say we were? You know what he said? What? He said, Charlie... If you get involved in site safety after you've signed a contract, or if a judge or jury believes you did, then the law says you just modified the contract and agreed to provide site safety after all. But sometimes it could be just my word against the other guys. That's right. But don't use that as an excuse. Remember, a jury will always want to do a good deed, especially when it's not their money they're giving away. So you always got to watch what you say. When you're on site, every word you use might as well be spoken by the engineer or geologist or whatever other professional you're reporting to. Every word. Which is also why you don't tell anyone else except your own employees what to do. If you say do this or don't do that, someone could easily claim you were giving orders so they assumed you were in charge of safety too. Some strange things can happen when lawsuits are filed and a lot of money is at stake. Just remember that professionals are held to a higher standard than other people because they have positions of trust. They're supposed to know. If a professional says or implies it's safe and it's not safe, that professional could be in trouble. And because you represent the professional, if you say or imply it's safe and it's not safe, the professional could be in trouble. In short, when you're on site, you are the professional, and you need to conduct yourself accordingly. Hey, Charlie, how does this trench look to you? Geez, Carl, I don't know. Does it conform to OSHA specs? If it doesn't, you get trouble. I don't think we need a trench box. Seriously, do you think it looks okay? You don't think it'll cave, do you? Carl, what you need is an engineering evaluation. I can call my office if you want. They can come out here and do an evaluation for you. But I can't tell you that stuff off the top of my head. Well, better safe than sorry. Hey, Dave! Green! Call into the office, will ya? Have him bring out a trench box. I don't trust this cut. No one expects you to be perfect, but everyone has a right to expect you to try to do your absolute best. And when you do, it can make all the difference. Hey, Ryan. What's up, Tiffany? Before we start bantering about this episode... Figure we should probably tell everybody what GBA is. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. You have to tell them what GBA stands for, because it's a mouthful. Come on, geoprovisional. See, I can't even say it. Geoprofessional Business Association isn't that hard to say. See, you almost stumbled there, didn't you? I totally did stumble. <laughs> and I think geoprofessionals is probably something people don't know what that means. But if you're in geotechnical engineering, environmental, services, COMET, GBA is something where you can get a lot out of it. But what is that? What is a lot? What, what do you get from GBA, Tiffany? It's a bunch of professionals really willing to share their stories and their resources so that we can all make each other better in the industry. That was kind of foreign to me when I got exposed to it. Yeah, I had heard about GBA, but until I really got engaged and involved on committees, I didn't appreciate everything that GBA had to offer. And for me, the interaction that you talked about, making connections with other professionals in your field um, across the U.S., 
has been something that to me is probably more valuable even than everything else GBA provides. For sure. That's where we met. See, GBA is awesome just for that. But where you really, really get the best from GBA is by becoming a member firm, attending conferences, and networking with your peers. So that's what I love about it personally. And it's not just geoprofessionals, because like we've mentioned, I don't have anything to do with dirt. So we're going on and on about GBA. Yes, we love it. Learn more at their website, geoprofessional.org. But how about we jump into our opinions on this particular episode now? Sounds good. Let's do it. I have a lot of thoughts on this. I really liked the way they set real world examples and made you empathize with both sides in different situations. But right from the beginning, the one thing that hit me was I think they were setting it up. The relationship between Charlie and Carl was very casual. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that can trip up field staff because you start building those relationships and that rapport. And it's very hard to draw that line between friendship and work. So did any of that resonate with you? Yeah, honestly, I hadn't thought about that until you said it. And that is something that makes a lot of sense. We've seen that on sites where we have long-term monitoring going on where the contractor and our staff are together a lot and you have to remind them that you can be friendly. They're not your friend, you know, as long as you're doing your job. And I think sometimes depending on the person, it can be hard to to separate that work and that friendship. And so from my perspective, you just want to make sure they're not giving them preferential treatment. Easy to, to stay friendly, but yeah, they did kind of bring that out without even explicitly talking about it. Yeah. And then I noticed later that guy he had built the rapport with on the site kind of threw him under the bus later when they had the legal case. He supposedly, fictitiously, but called up the widow and was like, oh, by the way, there was somebody kind of at fault. Yeah. And I th- I think that is something that should really resonate with people who are new to the field. They might become friends. We all build friendships in this business, but you also really have to be careful because when it comes down to lawsuits, everybody's going to protect themselves. Yeah, and that's that's kind of interesting part of our job. I feel like we instill a lot of fear <laughs> in these staff, and they're going to start wondering why they want to do this as a job when we're warning them about every interaction potentially having negative consequences. So I think how I present that to, to younger and new staff is, is something I should think about a little bit more because I don't want to scare them about all the liability beyond what is necessary to at least make them realize this is this is serious, this is a job, you're a representative. That's a great point that I hadn't thought about. I said it briefly, but we do build awesome friendships in this business. And there are definitely clients that I've become friends with, you know, clients that I interact with outside of work. So it's not saying you can't build a friendship, but you got to know where to draw the line on those things and don't make a recommendation for a buddy, right? You're only make a recommendation. You're representing your work. So you got to keep that in mind. We haven't had them exactly in this scenario in that we okayed something that wasn't okay sort of casually, but we have had cases, a few throughout my career, where we were on site to look at something else. We noticed an unsafe condition and never a trench. It's it's less typical for trench safety around here, more about temporary cut slopes, which are pretty similar, same idea in that it's steeper or the material it's made of, it's too steep, creates a safety concern. And 
we had a case where it was kind of a large multi-family development and someone was there to do some density testing, something completely unrelated and noticed that they had some pretty tall vertical cuts, kind of prompted a, a quick response from us to the owner and contractor and it ended up being fine. They were required to shore up the slope to make sure it was safe. But it was one of those things where we hadn't talked specifically about the safety of these cut slopes. Fortunately, the inspector was aware that was potentially unsafe condition and noticed that even though it wasn't brought to their attention. So similar but different to kind of what they described here. We're fortunate that we haven't had the occasion where we approved something that wasn't safe. It's, it's usually the other way around in terms of my experience that there have been unsafe conditions that weren't brought to our attention that we observed fortunately and brought to the contractor's attention. So do you have any examples like how the field staff brought those up? Because that can be really tough, right? You see something wrong and it's like, well, that's not exactly in my wheelhouse, but yet I think it's enough that I should point something out. It's usually a case of they're not comfortable due to either inexperience or, or whatever, bringing that up necessarily to the contractor, but it's something that they bring up immediately to the project manager and kind of let us run with it from there and work with the owner and contractor to get it resolved. I frequently tell field staff to sort, sort of along the lines of having the relationships, keep themselves in the good graces. They can blame it on me because I'm not there for the contractor to get mad at. So they can always put it on me and call me and let me be the bad guy. And that's usually what's happened in these cases. They, they weren't certain enough to make the call to the contractor, but they were certain enough that it was potentially a hazard that they let the PM know and it got resolved. That's a great point for newer field staff that if anything ever feels slightly off, just doesn't sit right with you, make sure you bring it up to somebody. You don't have to bring it up on site, but bring it up to somebody in your company who can help and give you guidance on whether that's potentially an issue or not. So one of the other things that I really loved about this was the perspective of the jury. I liked what they did there. And at first, it's kind of dramatic. The wife is weeping and she's talking about how horrible it was. But I mean, real world, that's what would happen, right? Somebody yeah. passed away. You think that you were just reasonable and you're not at fault. But if you look at an average juror, they don't understand our world. They don't understand that it wasn't our place and our job. And that was just a passive comment that was made in their eyes it really resonated that they're going to side with that poor woman who needs to take care of her kids. And they're probably going to have in their head that this company has insurance and their person is screwed up and she should be compensated, right? Yeah. And, and I don't even know if they're going to necessarily think that they screwed up if they just think, you know, there was enough responsibility there. And like you said, they're, they're a big company. They have insurance. It's just emotional for the jury, right? I mean, and they, they build their case pretty well. I'm the dumb contractor and he's this, you know, representative of these professionals and should know better. They definitely played that out well. And to your point, you said they're thinking, oh, it's a big company. Well, it doesn't matter if you're a company of 10 people. They assume everybody in construction makes a ton of money. They probably even presume that you're a huge company. Yeah, exactly. I've I've always been told from a pretty early stage, when you're discussing things, observing things, you're on site, what are you going to say on the stand? Anytime you make some sort of recommendation, 
you're going to feel comfortable standing behind that when you're presenting that to a judge or a jury. And it's, it's half joking when we say it, but it, but it is half serious. Kind of like when someone gets their PE license, we say, congratulations, now you can be sued. Joking aside, and you know, we, we try to just instill the seriousness of what we do. I think it's easy sometimes to just get in the role of going out, doing your inspection or your testing, reporting the results and not looking at the bigger picture. And I think that's really what they emphasize here is like, we're not there just to do what we were told we were going to be doing. We need to consider, you know, everything related to our field when we're out there doing inspections. I love that you brought up the point about the PE, especially because as I was thinking about this, apartment I manage only has one PE right now. We have a lot of weld inspectors and they can be personally liable as well because of the certifications they go through. So again, we're not trying to scare everybody, but it's important to understand no matter what your job as professionals, you can be held liable and you got to keep that in mind. I don't know about for what you do with the welding inspections and the coatings and things. I mean, geotech is, is highly litigious. It's one of those things where there's a lot of unknowns we do some borings that might be six inches in diameter over several acres and make recommendations. And I think frequently that leads to problems. Obviously, GBAs provide a lot of resources to help us mitigate that. But do you have those types of liabilities in what you do? Yeah, in our specific, you know, we have a geotech group too, but I'm just talking in my small world here. I would say it's definitely not as much, but when it is, it's big. Like think about the big bridge failures. A lot of times they were tied back to bad bolts not being properly reviewed or Mm -hmm. bad welds, right? And those are the type of things that if we miss, they can be catastrophic. Okay, I'm scared now. (laughs) (laughs) We're out there doing a good job for you. Don't worry. (laughs) One big takeaway that I wanted to bring up, and then I don't think you and either you or I will have an answer, but the whole tone of this was written saying you are the agent of the engineer. So this field staff member who was not an engineer became the agent. But from my perspective, it felt like this must be written as though they're the design professional, right? And oftentimes, instead, you're doing the third-party observations and your company didn't do the design. Therefore, you don't work for the EOR, like in this case. So at that point, is there a PE back in the office, like with this one, who would be ultimately responsible Is the field staff ultimately responsible? I know in the end, they're going to come back on the company, but it was just very interesting to me that they told us in the way that the PE who manages that person, like they had the example of the nurse and the doctor. A couple thoughts on that. I would say in most cases, we want to do the construction observation if we were the engineer of record because it gives us opportunities to catch things, to see subsurface conditions and compare them to what we found and make adjustments during construction, partly because, you know, we characterize the subsurface on a limited number of explorations. So as they open up a site, we might change our opinion. So trying to stay involved helps. And so I would say in the majority of cases, the engineer of record is also providing observation and testing. I think in the other case, you can have third party testing. And I think in most of those cases, those testing labs or companies 
have to have an overseeing engineer. So I think it would be the same role that they portrayed is that they have a PE that's more experienced that oversees this group of inspectors doing the testing. That's an interesting thought though, because I manage our department and I am not a PE. Mm-hmm. My degree is in construction management and I am the one ultimately overseeing those projects. So it would be interesting to look into do I become personally liable to somebody else? You know, is it our board that is required to have PE since we're a licensed engineering firm? And it, it might depend on the discipline, right? I mean, with geotechnical or structural or civil engineering, that's all very clear. But I don't know about the type of inspections for things like, I mean, I'm on projects where we're, do, we're observing piles being installed and they have a weld inspector that's not at all related to the project. They're just coming in to do this testing per the specifications. So I don't know if they have to be backed up by a PE. That's a, that's a good question. My, I guess, action item, let's say you listen to this in your company for some information and lessons learned, I would challenge everybody to go research the rules and ask in your company who is liable for these things. If you make a mistake, who is responsible for that? Yeah, and I think the interesting thing in this case is this wasn't really a design issue, right? Anytime someone's digging a trench, that's to a certain extent, means and methods. I mean, obviously they have to do it in a safe manner, but we don't typically provide recommendations for, quote, trench safety or safety in general. That's actually a limitation that we always put in there is that contractors responsible for site safety. And I had this conversation talking about this exact audio recently with younger staff, and he was asking lots of questions, which was great. And I I made a distinction because he started to feel like, well, we should only say things about what we're responsible for and nothing else. And I said, yes, to a certain extent, but if we see something that's unsafe, we need to bring that to someone's attention, whether that's part of our thing or not. If you see a steep slope that doesn't meet the requirements for safety, you have to bring that to someone's attention, whether you see it or not. Kind of like the story I, I told earlier, he was saying, well, if I walk by this trench and I just say, you know, I can't comment on it. I said, yeah, that's that's great. But if you see that it's unsafe, someone's working in this trench that you think is unsafe, you need to break that up. It's better to be wrong in that case and have it be safer than you think and have someone be safe than, you know, the other way around and have someone get hurt, like in this case. It talked in here about the contract scope technically changing when they decided to comment on safety. So regardless of whether your contract said safety or specifically in this case said there wasn't, once you comment, you're, you know, you've changed the scope a little bit, but that shouldn't say, don't be afraid to bring it up. We all have the duty to report on unsafe conditions or things we're concerned about. So don't let a lawsuit scare you that you can't even bring this up and say something just because you're not the expert. Right. Especially in unsafe conditions, something that's obviously not safe. You don't want something to happen and then have them say, well, he was on site and he didn't say anything about it. And they're the experts. It could, it could go the same way, whether you comment on it or not. Absolutely. All right. Did you have any other good takeaways or thoughts on this one? No, honestly, the more I listen to the audio, the more I kind of like the message. This has been ingrained in me for a long time and it seems very familiar. So I don't know if I listened to this audio as a younger staff person or if this story was related to me early on, but hearing the audio was a little bit of, of deja vu. Geotech especially, liability is something we talk about frequently. I felt like I had heard this all before, which I think is good, and I, I need to make sure that our younger and less experienced staff has that sort of 
same experience that I never took it as a negative thing. I took it as a learning experience and it didn't make me fearful, even though sometimes we wonder why we're doing this with all the liability we take. But yeah, I thought it was was good. And I've actually asked everyone in my group to to listen to these so we can discuss them. Awesome. I felt the same way about it. I know when we first uh, discovered this series, we joked about a couple of them in the cheesy acting, but in the end, the message is great. And I'm glad we're getting this on, you know, a different format so that more people can hear it. And I'm really hoping people listen to this and come back and tell us their stories and share more experiences because that's what GBA is all about is sharing those stories. So hope to hear a bunch. Thank you for joining us for this episode of GBA's audio education series. We hope you found this conversation valuable and can use what you learned here. Links to the original audio and all the resources we mentioned are included in the show notes. But before you go, don't forget to give us a review, hopefully five stars, and subscribe to the GBA podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes.